0: sermon series on the biblical book of Galatians, and I have titled this series, Jesus Plus Nothing. Galatians is an extremely important book of the Bible. Of course, they're all important, and they're not in contest with each other, uh, but Galatians is extremely important as it presents the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, very clearly, and it defends the gospel of Jesus Christ against those who would adjust or alter the message of the gospel. Throughout all of church history, there have always been those who want to adjust, alter, change the gospel message. And they do so in a variety of different directions. And we're actually going to talk, that's what we're going to talk about uh, next week. But, but this is an important book because it presents the gospel and it defends the gospel against those who would seek Uh, to alter it. Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty, the battle cry of the Reformation, and the Christian's declaration of independence from works-based salvation. Theologian Merrill Tenney wrote of Galatians, quote, Christianity might have been just one more Jewish sect, and the thought of the Western world might have been entirely pagan had Galatians never been written. Galatians embodies the germinal teaching on Christian freedom which separated Christianity from Judaism and which launched it upon a career of missionary expansion. It was the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation because its teaching of salvation by grace alone became the dominant theme of the preaching of the Reformers. A very important book. Galatians was written by the apostle Paul. Paul the apostle to the Gentiles had been the one along with Barnabas to bring the gospel to the region of Galatia and he had established cities throughout Galatia. Four of the cities that he had established churches in were in the southern part of Galatia Uh, and these cities are Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. If you're Uh, Wondering where Galatia is, it is in what today, it was in what is today modern day Turkey. Uh, While there are other churches in Galatia, were besides these four, it's likely that Galatians was written at least primarily to these four churches that I uh, just mentioned. Here is the occasion of the writing, which is the most important for our purposes as we enter into this series. Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in Galatia, and many had received the message, and they had believed on Jesus. And so what happens when many people believe on Jesus is you establish a local church, and so they had established churches. And then the time came when Paul would leave the area and uh, go off on another missionary journey to share the gospel with others. And these newly established churches would be left in the hands of other leaders besides Paul who had brought the message and who had established the church. Now remember um, that uh, Galatia was a Gentile area. Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. The churches were comprised largely of Gentile believers, but there were Jewish believers who were a part of the churches as well. And here's what would happen. After Paul left Galatia, this happened to Paul often, uh, after Paul left Galatia, there were Jewish believers who had become Christians, but they had continued to believe that believers in Jesus must become part of, of the nation of Israel. They said that they were Christian, but they still despised Gentiles, and they insisted that Gentiles had to adopt the customs of the Jews. Now, they despised the Gentiles, but their new faith in Christ didn't allow them any longer to believe that Gentiles were beyond the reach of God, beyond the reach of Jesus, as if he couldn't save them. But they insisted that the Gentiles had to be initiated into Israel and adopt Jewish customs and practices. And so these Jewish believers, known as Judaizers, told the Gentile believers that in order to experience salvation, they had to be initiated into Israel by the right of circumcision. By the right of circumcision. And in addition to that, they must accept... And live according to the obligations of the Jewish law. Paul had taught them that faith in Christ was all that was needed for salvation. But then Paul left. And the Judaizers came along behind Paul and they said, Well, actually, it's faith in Christ plus circumcision plus keeping the law. And so Paul wrote Galatians to address this teaching of the Judaizers. Who took Paul's message of salvation. Jesus plus nothing. And adjusted it, altered it, changed it. To say that it was Jesus plus circumcision plus keeping the law. So this letter was written as a corrective to this false teaching that had entered the churches in Galatia. So that is the setup uh, for the series. So with this introduction, let's turn our attention to our text for today. We're going to look at Galatians 1, 1 through 10. should be on the screen behind me. I'll read, and you can follow along as I do. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today, and then going on, where we're going to spend most of our time next week. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 1 is not our focus today because uh, the, the, what's going on there is going to come up again in uh, following weeks. But I, I want to acknowledge what's happening in verse 1. Paul begins the letter by immediately defending himself as an apostle. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers that are with me. You see, in addition to challenging Paul's message of Jesus plus nothing, the Judaizers were also challenging Paul himself, claiming that his claim to being an apostle and having apostolic authority over the churches was a bogus claim. They said he wasn't an apostle because he wasn't one of the original 12. And and they claimed that he was not accredited by the Jerusalem church. And so they claimed that he had no right to admit believers to the church on baptism alone without the right of circumcision. And so Paul opens Galatians by immediately emphasizing his apostolic credentials. He notes that he was appointed by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And he uh, uh, references the brothers who are with him who served as witnesses to his apostolic standing. He basically starts out the letter by saying, Let me remind you who I am, so listen up. People don't like it when a leader does that, but sometimes that's what a leader has to do. Let me remind you who I am, so listen up. Now, Paul often opened his letters by identifying himself as an apostle and that he was appointed by God, but there is added significance here because of the charges, the accusations that were being made against him. So I wanted to acknowledge that. It's not our focus because it'll come up again, but I just want to point out this is what's happening here. Paul is being challenged not only on his message, but on his person, who he is in the body of Christ. And so after two verses of defending his apostolic authority, Paul does something very appropriate for the circumstance into which he was writing. He immediately articulates The gospel, the good news of Jesus. He's writing into a place where the gospel is being adjusted and altered by the Judaizers. And so Paul presents a clear proclamation of the gospel right at the outset of his letter. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you to you. Those are precious words that are right at the very heart of the gospel. Grace is the source of salvation and peace is the result of salvation. And immediately after giving that greeting, Paul represents the he presents the foundational truth of the gospel. Paul says of Jesus who gave himself for our sins the foundational truth of the gospel Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins the heart of the gospel is Christ willing sacrifice of himself for our sins salvation is not something that we earn through our efforts It is something that Christ earned by his efforts. And then he offers to us what he earned for us. We cannot earn salvation. We can only receive salvation through faith in Jesus. The atoning death of Jesus was the most essential part of the divine plan of redemption. This statement, he gave himself for our sins, affirms that the purpose of Christ's coming was to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And so salvation is not about what we do, it's about what Christ has already done, And so Paul affirms this right at the start of Galatians. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. And then he goes on and we see more of the glorious gospel. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Jesus' death was a rescue operation. The only possible means of saving men and women from the doomed world and from the consequences of our sins. He came to rescue us from a world that is condemned. And he came to rescue us from our own condemnation. The word deliver carries the meaning of rescuing from danger. the present evil age that Jesus came to deliver us from is this satanic world system that has dominated the world since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve ate the apple, and it will continue to dominate the world until Christ returns. The world that we live in stands condemned before God, but we have been redeemed. We're no longer subject to the condemnation that rests upon this world system. Now, it's true that our deliverance is going to be complete when Christ returns. But in a very real sense, we have been rescued out of the present evil age, delivered from this evil age. In a very real sense, that happened to us the moment that we received Jesus as Savior and Lord. From that moment on, we are still in this world, but we're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven. From the moment of our conversion, our citizenship changes from this condemned world to heaven. That's good news. That's good news. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. From this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. Jesus died for our sins. To rescue us from the condemned world. Because God loves us. Because God loves you. Sometimes I think that we get the idea and. And as Christians, we present the idea that God, the Father, wanted to destroy us. He can't stand us. He's angry with us. God wanted to destroy us, and Jesus talked him out of it. Now, it's certainly true that the penalty of sin had to be paid. God's just wrath had to be satisfied. That's absolutely true. And that required Jesus' sacrifice. But it is not true that Jesus talked God out of doing what he really wanted to do. The Father and the Son are one and they are perfectly united in their love for mankind. God loves you. The Father loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus died according to the will of the Father. Because God loves you. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus died for our sins. Rescued us from this condemned world because God loves us. God loves you. Good news. It's good news. We see the good news clearly in these verses. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. To whom be glory forever and ever amen Jesus died for our sins good news Jesus rescued us from the present evil age good news this happened because God loves us good news and when we understand this message and receive this message and receive Jesus like Paul our response will be to praise and glorify God. God will be glorified forever and ever because of the gospel. The debt of our sin was so great, we could never get ourselves out of the debt. So Jesus paid it. We stood along with every person on earth and the entire world system. We stood rightly condemned before God, and Jesus rescued us from this condemned condition. We believed that God was against us, but through Jesus, we learned that God is for us, God loves us. This is the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus saves. Jesus rescues. It all happens because it all happened because God loves us. This is the gospel. It's all Jesus. It's none us. It's all what Jesus did, not what we do. Jesus plus nothing. Is the gospel. This is such good news. This gospel message. That people who truly receive it. Are changed by it. And they overflow in praise. For the rest of their lives. And forever and ever. They overflow in praise to God. God will be glorified forever and ever because he is worthy. Jesus will be glorified forever and ever because he is worthy. He alone is worthy because the salvation that many of us, uh, that many of us have received. And that is available to all of us. That salvation is all him, none us. We can't save ourselves. We can only be saved by him. We can't rescue ourselves. We can only be rescued by him. On our own, we are hopelessly condemned, hopelessly lost, buried under a mountain of debt we can't repay. And so Jesus comes, and he saves, he rescues, he pays our debt. The gospel, the good news, Jesus saves. Jesus plus nothing. He alone is our Savior. This is the gospel. This is the message that Paul writes to the Galatians to proclaim and to defend against those who said that Jesus plus nothing wasn't enough. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. He alone is our salvation And this is crystal clear throughout the Bible. There should be no mistaking this. There should be no confusion about this. It is crystal clear. And so let me just share with you a variety of places in Scripture that this is made very clear to us. You know, often Paul is said to have presented a gospel message that somehow Jesus himself never endorsed. And that's not true. And so, let's begin with what Jesus himself said. In John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The the heart of the question of coming to the Father is, how can one be right with God? And here's Jesus' answer to that. Only through me. How can you be right with God? Jesus says, only through me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. The only way you're ever going to be right with God is through me. Everything else is futile. I am your only answer. I am your only hope. From the mouth of Jesus. Titus three, four through seven. Here's what we here's what we read. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else it's not found in you doing good stuff salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name jesus under heaven given to men by which we must be saved no one else Salvation isn't found in what you're able to do. Salvation isn't found in what I'm able to do. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. Romans 5, 6. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless couldn't do anything to help ourselves. Completely hopeless of getting out of our sin predicament. At just that time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus plus nothing. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, like the whole world, we were by nature objects of wrath. I think it was just last week that I mentioned that while it makes us all uncomfortable, there is a point in the future when the wrath of God is going to be revealed against all the hard and unrepentant hearts. And that's what is being written about here in Galatians. Until we come to Jesus, we are objects of wrath. We're going to be on the receiving end of God's wrath at some point without Jesus. But Ephesians goes on. But because of his great love for us, God, the one who's going to pour out the wrath, God... Who is rich in mercy. Wrath is coming on the condemned world. But that's not what God wants. God is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. That you've been saved. It is by grace you are saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God Not by works, so that no one can boast. We were dead in our transgressions. But because of God's great love, we've been saved. It's not anything we've done. It's the gift of God. It's not by our works or deserving. It's the gift of God. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. We've been given eternal life. We haven't earned it. We've been given it. It's received from the Son. Any other way of trying to secure eternal life fails. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. The gospel, the good news, is that salvation is the gift of God given to those who will receive it. We can't earn salvation. It is a gift. But the gift has to be received. The gift has to be received. Many of us here today have received God's gift of salvation. But some of us here today have not. And if you haven't, Here in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. The Bible is very clear on how we go about receiving the gift of salvation. And we've seen it in the verses that we've already looked at here today. Ephesians 2 that we just read gives some guidance when it says that we are saved by grace through faith. Through faith. We're saved when we hear about what Jesus has done for us. He died for our sins. He saved us from this condemned world because of God's love for us. All the things that I've shared with you today. We're saved when we hear that message, when we believe that message, and when we entrust our lives to that message. That's faith. Hearing, believing, and then trusting our lives to what we've believed. The most famous verse in the Bible affirms this truth. John 3.16, Jesus again said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever has faith, in First John five eleven through thirteen that we just read, it, it makes it clear that we uh, are saved by having the Son. I stumbled around there, so let me say it again. First John five eleven through thirteen makes it clear that we receive salvation by having the Son. We believe and trust in Jesus. And what he's done for us. And in doing so we ask him to come into our lives and be our savior. We welcome him into our hearts, into our lives. We have the son as we welcome him and we receive him into our lives. And Romans 10, 9 through 10 gives us really good guidance on what it looks like to receive God's gift of salvation. Here's what those verses tell us. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And then Romans 10 13 kind of summarizes it all and, and presents it in like the simplest terms possible. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You recognize your need of him, you recognize he's the savior, you call out to him, save me, you'll be saved. We receive the gift of salvation by recognizing we need a Savior, believing on Jesus, coming to see that He is the Savior, receiving Him into our lives, and calling out to Him and asking Him to save us. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the message that Paul wrote Galatians to defend. This is the message of salvation. And if you're here today having never received Christ as Savior, I hope that perhaps today you will receive this message and you will come to Jesus And you'll ask Him to be your Savior. I'm going to give you that chance here in just a minute. So let's stand.